Hello, hello, and welcome to the Older Adult to Geriatric Nutrition Answers podcast, presented to you by LongTermCareRD.com. I'm Michelle Sari. I'm your host and presenter of today's episode. Today we're going to be talking about managing end-of-life inability to swallow issues. I will link all articles to the end of the podcast show notes, so be sure to check out if you want some more information. But let's just dive right into today's episode. If you have a patient at the end of life, then this is an episode for you. It is such a tough topic to talk about, and nobody talks about it in the dietitian world, which is baffling to me. Especially when you're an intern, I find it so peculiar that you go through 1,200 plus hours, and I don't personally, I know I didn't have any experience with it, Nobody talked to me about how to talk to patients at the end of life. And yet, if you're working in any type of clinical atmosphere, you will probably have a patient die at some point. Whether they're young or old, I know in my internship, I did lose patients. And it wasn't out of the ordinary for this to happen. But specifically for those dietitians that are working in the older adult, geriatric, long-term care atmosphere, or... um, Let's say you're in a hospital in the ICU, you you probably have lost a patient or two. And sometimes it's gradual, but you need to know how to talk to these people, how to talk to the patients, how to talk to their loved ones, and how to know what issues are coming up and how you're going to deal with them. Because the worst thing in these situations, I'll talk specifically about the long-term care atmosphere, so geriatrics and end of life, is that... It is relatively predictable, the nutrition issues that come up as somebody is going through the dying process. So if you can make loved ones aware of what is to come in a typical situation, you can put some of their nerves at ease and their anxiety and sometimes depression. Simply because if you know what's to come, you or the family, they will trust you more because they will know that you saw this coming because you've dealt with end-of-life issues and you know how to at least manage, not necessarily treat, because treat sometimes implies that you're going to make it better and in the dying process, we're not reversing the dying process, but we are making patients as comfortable as possible and nutrition is a big component of that. So An episode like this, it's very near and dear to my heart because I've worked in geriatrics for so long and I've walked this journey with so many families and also obviously I've had loved ones um, that have gone through the long-term care facilities and have passed away in them. And it's made all the difference in the world when myself and my family members feel like our loved one is getting the best care possible. So if you're a dietitian working in long-term care I really encourage you, seek out some education on it. Learn how to have these discussions about end of life. It's so important. And it's not something that you can just kind of skirt away from. I know in a lot of scenarios, the dietitian doesn't typically go have end of life discussions. But there's so many nutrition issues that come up at end of life that you should be having these discussions. So even if you're a new dietitian or a seasoned dietitian that just isn't very involved in end of life discussions, seek it out. Um, There's not a ton of education out there, but there is some. Um, Obviously on the long-term care RD website, I do have an end of life nutrition discussions webinar that you can take. 
I'll link that in the show notes just to help you get through those first conversations because once you have the conversation a couple times you'll get more comfortable and you'll learn how you like to talk about it and what areas you're good at speaking about so seek it out and educate yourself okay but enough of my rant there about seeking out education let's get into the inability to swallow issue So end-of-life nutrition comes with a very complex set of physical issues, but dysphagia is a common issue at the end of life, especially if the patient has a history of it, it will get progressively uh, worse. And end-of-life inability to swallow issues cannot always be corrected, but the dietitian can build a dysphagia care plan to reduce discomfort and manage the swallowing issues. Just on a side note though, um, there is an ebook and a course on the website. Like I said, I forgot to mention that an ebook does come with it. And I do also have, I think, four separate articles that are posted on end-of-life nutrition issues. Those are free, so you can read through those. And in one of them, I do have actual talking points to get through those initial conversations. So there's both free and there's paid resources on the website. So try to dig through those. So let's just go through in general, what does end of life mean? Because this is a clinical diagnosis. So end of life means that a patient has six months or less to live. It's a clinical prediction made by the doctor. And in my experience, it's usually pretty accurate. Uh, The patient could be suffering from a chronic condition, disease progression, or simply just advanced age. And these all contribute to the end of life. There is not always an obvious reason why end of life is occurring. Sometimes it's just that the patient is elderly and their body is shutting down. So six months or less, more often than not, in my experience, it's less. Sometimes it's within a matter of weeks or months because the big signs that somebody is passing away usually come within those last couple weeks or months. I always say that a dietitian is a great predictor that end of life is happening because all through a patient's life in long-term care we're constantly dealing with unintentional weight loss inadequate intake and we do nutrition interventions to try to combat these so we'll fortify foods we'll try to give oral nutrition supplements we'll do a number of interventions And if you're monitoring and evaluating and reassessing over and over again, you should be finding that your nutrition interventions, they do work to stop that unintentional weight loss. But when it comes to end of life, sometimes that weight loss is just going to continue happening, even though you are putting every nutrition intervention in place. So when you start to notice those types of patterns, and sometimes it's as small as one or two kilograms a month. Sometimes it's a little bit more, but when you're doing your quarterly assessments, you're looking back and you look at your nutrition care plan and you're seeing that you've done all these nutrition interventions, yet that weight continues to decline. Let's say the patient is sleeping more through meals, so they're increasingly more fatigued and no matter what you're trying, it's not working. Sometimes stuff like that is an indicator that end of life is coming because the body is wanting to sleep more, the body is not wanting to take in as many nutrients, they're not able to eat quite as much, and the weight loss is slow but progressive. And sometimes we can miss this because unintentional weight loss, it doesn't always come up as those clinically significant numbers, let's say 5% in 30 days or 
uh, 10% in 180 days. If it's not flagged, sometimes we as dietitians we don't always look at it. But like I've said in previous podcast episodes, that even those non-significant weight losses we need to pay attention to. Because in a scenario where it's end of life, you look at it and they were never flagged as significant weight loss, but you notice over six months or 12 months that it's progressively just continued on. And when you measure it up against your nutrition care plan, it's not making sense why your nutrition interventions aren't working. Sometimes that's an indicator that end of life is coming. So just a heads up, still look at those clinically non-significant weight losses because sometimes they are an indicator that end of life is coming. Some other common issues though that we do see at end of life are, like I said, decreased food and fluid intake, a decreased interest in food and fluids, increased fatigue, sleeping more, the weight loss, even increased eating assistance, and inability to swallow leading to dysphagia. The end of life nutrition issues, they are a domino effect. So when one starts to happen, it gives way to the next issue. So Um, If we just go through the list that I just talked about, so a decreased interest in eating, um, decreased food and fluid intake, they're sleeping more, weight loss is happening. These are all dominoes, so one gives way to the other. It's all very normal behavior though, and we do expect to see it as the end of life comes. As end of life comes, the body is going to hold on to the essential functions and the digestive system just isn't essential at the end of life. That's why we're starting to see decreased intake. But again, it's natural and we don't want to push a patient to eat and drink more than they want to. If a patient is pushing away food and fluids, we respect that. This, however, doesn't mean that we don't do any nutrition interventions. We do nutrition interventions to address the symptoms and our nutrition goal is to provide comfort. So as long as a patient is still accepting of food and fluids, we continue to offer them. So some people say, well, when do you guys just stop feeding them? There's not a time where we just stop providing food. As long as they can safely eat. So if somebody is laying down flat in a bed, no, they should not be offered food and fluids because that puts them at serious risk of choking. So you still want the patient or individual to be able to sit up 90 degree angles, whether that's in bed, not my preference, but end of life, that's okay, as long as they're supervised throughout the entire meal. Um, And you can still offer them food in bed. So you might need one-to-one staff support, which I know is hard to come by, but it is a matter of respecting that if somebody is nearing the end of life, they can't always get out of bed might cause more pain and discomfort. So the nutrition care plan has to constantly be adapted as end of life progresses. Why does dysphagia happen at the end of life? Throat muscles weaken over time and this can lead to dysphagia. Dysphagia is obviously the difficulty or the inability to swallow for those that don't know. And we see swallowing difficulty in as high as 79% of end of life patients. So dysphagia can be caused by many issues, especially at the end of life. So it can be as diseases progress, so such as dementia, cognitive impairments, um, a stroke, throat cancers, Parkinson's disease. Severe dementia is an incredibly common cause. So this would be, I believe they call it stage seven of dementia. I think there are seven stages. I'm a little gonna have to brush up on which stage it's considered, but it's the severe 
dementia where you're going to see dysphagia incredibly common. And most of those diseases that I just mentioned or diagnoses will lead to the end of life from their effects directly or the side effects that they have on the body. And the timelines are going to be different, but if the majority have dysphagia, it will be progressive in nature. And it's especially important that if a patient has a history of dysphagia, that the dietitian and speech language pathologist, if they're available, follows them through to end of life care. The end of life inability to swallow can be a, the cause of dysphagia, or it can also be due to a physical obstruction. So it's very important that the cause of the inability to swallow is investigated. If it is a physical obstruction, it obviously needs to be dealt with and you're going to be working with some really great doctors and nurses also on the end of life team that are going to be assets in figuring all this out. So you're not on an island by yourself. This is a team effort. So if the inability to swallow though is related to end of life, you're still going to propose nutrition interventions and you will still continue to develop nutrition care plans for end of life. I've said it before and I would say it a million times until the point is really gotten home. End of life does not mean end of care. It means managing symptoms associated with end of life. Some common conditions that we see are muscle wasting or cachexia. Uh, cachexia is not reversible in end of life though. Um, muscle weakness we see the throat is what we're concerned about obviously and cognitive function so the coordination of the swallowing muscles that is affected when cognitive function is declining and some common things that you're going to look out for when you're assessing if a patient is having difficulty swallowing at the end of life you'll notice coughing during eating or drinking a wet sounding voice gurgly their eyes can be watering look for this especially if they're a non-vocal patient Eyes watering can be a sign of discomfort from difficulty swallowing, choking on food obviously, and also pocketing food in the mouth. That is a serious choking risk, especially if their cheeks aren't checked after meals. So make sure that you're educating the healthcare aides and the team on checking these things. I do have a meal observation screen up on the website. I'll link it in the show notes for free and it gives you all of the screening questions to see if somebody has difficulty swallowing. So now we know somebody has an inability to swallow and then the next question is always how do we manage it? So you're still going to develop a nutrition care plan and you're going to change and update it as you see these needs happening. If a patient's on end of life, I tend to check in with the nurses on the unit every single day that I'm there. This might not be in your scenario, you're not there every day, but if you are, I at least just check in, see how they're doing. and. It's just a simple check-in. It will literally take five minutes of your day just to ask how the patient's doing and if the nurses need you to assess for anything. Or you can pop up when they're eating, watch them eat for a couple minutes, and that's it, just to see if you need to change anything. Things change quickly sometimes in end-of-life cases, so if you're on top of it, that is really helpful to the team. It doesn't mean that you're doing a full nutrition assessment constantly, but you do need to be aware of any swallowing difficulties or changes in condition that occur. So you're going to follow the patient's cues and you're going to adjust as necessary. So let's see, let's take for example if they're having trouble with textures. So they were on a regular texture and then they downgraded to a total mince texture 
and then they're still having more difficulties, I like to give the speech language pathologist a call, let them know, see if they can come in to do a quick assessment. But then you consult with the team, you consult with the loved ones and the patient if they're able to vocalize what they want and you'll downgrade that texture. So adjusting the diet textures and fluids, it should be considered um, as something that can make it easier for them to manage. A softer diet texture requires less effort on behalf of the patient to chew and you can also adjust fluids because that will reduce the risk of aspiration pneumonia. But all that being said, the patient may be at end of life, but we do not want to increase their chance of getting an illness. That's why we're always watching out to make sure we're not risking aspiration pneumonia. So the patient, when they're being fed, they should be awake and alert. Like I said, always in that upright position, 90 degree angle. They should still be accepting and we don't want to see them showing signs of swallowing difficulty after you've changed the nutrition care plan. So once you've done a new nutrition intervention, let's say you're adjusting the diet texture, you go back and you do another meal observation to see how they're managing. So the next question, what if a patient stops eating and drinking? If a patient stops eating and drinking, it should be respected. It's a natural part of the dying process. They can still be asked if they want anything to eat, but if they say no, that is their choice. End of life can be a really complicated time, and it requires weighing quality of life with your expert opinion. Quality of life and the patient and their loved one's decision should weigh heavily, though. So the end of life inability to swallow issue, it's going to present itself in the final days. Instead of food and fluids, loved ones and staff can do mouth care to keep the mouth moist and comfortable. And the focus of the nutrition care plan at the end of life, it should always be comfort focused. So remember to focus on that of all times instead of just trying to follow what you think they need. And quality of life means that they have rights and decisions. Now in the last episode, I was talking about a patient's right to choose and refuse and you will come upon this in different ways at the end of life. So something like adjusting diet texture, you may think that they are safer on a minced texture diet and they may have zero interest in that. And so go through last week's episode to listen to my tips on that, that it is their choice and you're going to educate them on the risks and you're going to document, document, document. Now, I do want to throw a note in from last week's episode. The dietitian is not alone in determining the risks associated and having those discussions. That is an entire healthcare team effort and everybody needs to be doing their part in having these discussions and documenting the conversations that they're having as well. So when I say a patient has the right to refuse, they do and the dietitian needs to be a part of having those discussions, but it is not solely on the dietitian to only be the one having those discussions and educating on the risks. So that continues to with end of life discussions. The dietitian is not the only one having end of life discussions. It is the entire team that is having those discussions. It doesn't mean that you're going in there every single day and reminding them that their loved one is at the end of life. No, absolutely not. You're going to use your personal judgment on when it's appropriate to have those discussions and whether the family is open and ready because the family may not want to have these discussions and that's okay. That's up to them. 
we don't push it we go with what they want to do so that is today's episode if you have any questions about end of life nutrition please feel free to shoot me an email longtermcarerd at gmail.com be sure to like and follow the show on your apple podcast or spotify and give it a five-star rating and review you can find me on instagram and facebook at longtermcarerd you can find the website at www.longtermcarerd.com in the show description notes you will find an article related to our topic today and the links that i mentioned And like I said, feel free to reach out. Love hearing from you guys and we'll talk again.